are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, teacher, mom, and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. This is February 27th, 2022, and this is episode 162 of Lighthearted. In a little while, we're going to hear a conversation about the Hudson River Maritime Museum in New York and Rondout Lighthouse. Before we get to that, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history, Michelle? Yes, it has, Jeremy. On February 27, 1656, the first lighthouse in Norway began operation. Lindisness Lighthouse is at the southern tip of Norway, and there's still an operating lighthouse there, along with a museum. The original lighthouse was lit with tallow candles. The museum at Lindisness is run by Norway's coastal administration and the local municipality. Two lighthouse keepers still live at Lindisness, making them the last official lighthouse keepers in Norway. So, Michelle, please help me tell everyone about the Hudson River Maritime Museum and today's guest, Sarah Wasberg Johnson. Sure, Jeremy. Located on the historic waterfront of Rondout, New York, the Hudson River Maritime Museum was established in 1979 and is dedicated to the preservation and interpretation of the maritime history of the Hudson River, its tributaries, and related industries. The museum was founded in 1979 by steamboat and tugboat enthusiasts, as well as local citizens who wanted to preserve the shipping history of the Hudson River. Today, the museum's collections include historic vessels, objects, archival material, and art related to Hudson River transportation, industries, and recreation, with paintings, prints, photographs, artifacts, ship models, boats, and more. Of the dozens of lighthouses and smaller lights that once dotted the Hudson River, only seven remain. Rondout Lighthouse, located at the confluence of the Hudson River and Rondout Creek, was established in 1838. The present lighthouse building, still fully operational as a navigational light, was completed in 1915. Rondout Lighthouse is owned by the City of Kingston and operated by the Hudson River Maritime Museum, and guided tours of the lighthouse are available seasonally. The lighthouse visits and other tours are aboard the Solaris, a solar-powered tour boat and floating classroom. Together with filmmaker Jeff Martz of Moonbow Imaging, the Hudson River Maritime Museum is in the process of creating a feature-length documentary film called Seven Sentinels, Lighthouses of the Hudson River. The film will tell the fascinating stories of the buildings themselves and their keepers, as well as a look at present and future preservation efforts. Sarah Wasberg-Johnson is the Director of Exhibits and Outreach at the Hudson River Maritime Museum. She was also the co-author of the book, Hudson River Lighthouses, published in 2019. Sarah has said she likes to, quote, challenge preconceived notions of history, debunking historical myths and challenging modern concepts of what the past and the people who lived in it were like, unquote. I spoke with Sarah in late January. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Sarah Wasberg-Johnson, who is the Director of Exhibits and Outreach at the Hudson River Maritime Museum in Kingston, New York. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Obviously, I want to talk about the museum today. I have been there. It's been a while, but I have been there. It's a great museum. 
And I want to talk about the lighthouses of the Hudson River, especially the Rondout Lighthouse. But let's start with a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, how and when did you come to your present position with the Hudson River Maritime Museum? Yeah, so I am originally from Fargo, North Dakota. Really? Yeah, I studied history in undergrad, and I had originally thought about maybe doing like professor track, but I got really interested in museums and history nonprofits. So I did some work for a small historical society and then decided I wanted to go to graduate school. I was looking at different graduate schools and I happened to meet in a discussion on Facebook, the person who had become my future husband <laughs> who lived in New York and okay. I had been considering the University of Albany anyway. So I came out to New York for graduate school and I worked in museums uh, while I attended graduate school. The master's program at UAlbany is a professional program. So most of their classes are in the late afternoon and evening, which is really great for people who are working in the field. And I worked at a couple of different museums and then ended up at the Maritime Museum in 2012. So uh, and I love working there. It's a little ironic that a girl from the center of the continent ends up working at a maritime museum. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I grew up in um, spending summers in Minnesota Lakes country. So I do have yeah. some affinity for that. And I remember visiting Split Rock Lighthouse and Lake Superior and stuff growing up. So yeah, uh, Split Rock being one of the really great iconic lighthouses in the, anywhere in the country. So uh, you were telling me you, uh, in more recent years, you've developed an interest in food history. I was just curious about that. Sounds really interesting. How, how did that come about and what, what have you done with that? Yeah, so um, it's like my two history loves are food and the Hudson River, I think. I've been interested in food like since I was a kid. I always like to like cook and eat, obviously. And in college, I had to cook for myself. So <laughs> I got interested in cooking. And as a history major, I was interested in like the history of cooking. And then I didn't do a whole lot with it until graduate school. I took some classes in like rural and agricultural history. And then I had to write a master's thesis. And a friend at a museum I used to work at, you know, I had to find some original material to write from. And I was interested in agriculture maybe or or food maybe but I didn't have anything clearly in mind and she said hey what about this scrapbook we have and it was the scrapbook of the Orange County Food Preservation Battalion mm. in Orange County New York which is a World War One food conservation organization and so I wrote my master's thesis on that and that kind of just snowballed I couldn't stop researching about food in World War One I, I had done a ton of research and you know, home economics and agriculture and things like that. And it just kind of expanded. It became a little bit of an obsession. So, mm. so that's where, where I went from there. Yeah. I can understand that. It seems like a, a really, really fascinating subject, something you go extremely in depth on, I would think. Before we talk about the lighthouses of the Hudson, uh, let's talk about the museum itself. Where is the Hudson River Maritime Museum uh, and what is there for people to see there? We, as a Maritime Museum, we're very lucky to be located along uh, the Kingston waterfront in downtown Kingston. We're right on Rondout Creek, so we're not mm -hmm. actually on the Hudson River itself. We're about um, a mile west of the Hudson uh, right. on, on Rondout Creek, which is a natural deep water port. And that was a huge major port during the 19th century, thanks in part to the Delaware and Hudson Canal. That's the terminus of the canal there. 
Um, and also it's one of the best, if not the best natural deep water port between New York City and Albany. So since mm-hmm. Dutch settlement, if not even earlier with indigenous people, it's it's been used um, uh, as a kind of a transportation hub. It's also about halfway between New York City and Albany, a little farther north than halfway, but it's it's a good stopping off point. And tell me a little bit about the, the museum itself. What kinds of exhibits are in there? Sure. So um, the museum was founded in 1979. We moved to our present waterfront location in 1983, which is the same year that we got our big steam tugboat, Matilda, who's up on the hard in our yard. She was built in 1898. So she's kind of the museum's mascot. Uh, And we interpret the entire history of the Hudson River focused on its maritime and industrial heritage. Mm-hmm. So we really focus on the, the navigable parts of the Hudson River. So from, you know, the Trimonads Dam, basically, we established, I think last year, we're like, well, where does the Hudson River end? And we're like, okay, right. our arbitrary, somewhat arbitrary mark is going to be the Barisano Narrows Bridge, in large part because the Port of New York uh, was so important to the Hudson Valley and vice versa. So we wanted to kind of an arc, expand our interpretation there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the museum itself, We have a number of buildings on our campus, but our primary building where our exhibits are, we usually have a couple of temporary exhibits that are up for a year or two that we produce in-house. And then we have a permanent exhibit hall, I shouldn't say permanent, semi-permanent because we're always updating things, um, called the East Gallery, which is where some of our largest artifacts are, including as you've probably seen, Jeremy, our ice boats. We have um, uh, an ice boat called the Knickerbocker, which is put together in the museum. So that's quite striking. And then we have a lot of other large hoisting engines and and actual boats and boat models and all kinds of things. Um, And we, like I said, we interpret the um, maritime heritage, obviously. So anything and everything related to boats. We also talk about a lot of the waterfront um, and river related industries. So in our area, that's things like bricks and bluestone and ice harvesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also talk about lighthouses, obviously, ferries, all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah. Is there an exhibit specifically on the lighthouses? There is. Yeah, it's in our East Gallery. Uh, We have fairly large models of the Rondout Lighthouse, um, both the current 1915 lighthouse uh, and the former 1867 lighthouse and we just recently acquired a fairly large model of the Sopus Menos lighthouse as well mm-hmm. so great. that along with some lighthouse artifacts is on display great so let's talk about the lighthouses themselves on the Hudson River how many were there built uh, historically on the river and how many are standing now so it's tough to tell exactly how many because there's some confusion about what's a lighthouse and what's a light right yep, yep. No, <laughs> even I've, historically I've... some Absolutely. things that were like stake lights or post lights were called lighthouses, even though they didn't necessarily have a structure. So I usually say a couple dozen. Mm -hmm. There were a surprising number of lighthouses. I shouldn't say surprising. It's surprising to us now, but it wasn't historically. There were a number of lighthouses and and lights, we'll call them, north of Hudson, New York, between Hudson and Albany. Most of those were eliminated in the late 19th and early 20th century by the Army Corps of Engineers. Okay. As they kind of reshaped the Hudson River up there, um, the channel used to move quite frequently 
based on on freshets and flooding and things like that. There were a lot of islands. A lot of those islands have been filled in. There were a lot of hooks and reaches. A lot of those have been blasted away. Um, so pretty much all of those lighthouses are gone with two exceptions. One, there were two actual uh, family stations at Kaksaki and another one at Stuyvesant, both built on the same plans as the Saugerties Lighthouse. So if you've seen that one, yeah. they're very similar. Those really sustained some a fair amount of damage from a number of uh, ice dams and freshets in the early 20th century. So by the 1920s, 30s, those were both removed. And the bases are still there. The um, large foundations are still there, but they're just skeleton lights now, we mm-hmm. call them. Yeah. You mentioned the canal system earlier, but could you say a little bit more about why, why were so many lighthouses and lights established on the Hudson River? A lot of that has to do with the development of uh, steamboat technology, which really started on the Hudson River. The Hudson River had the first commercial steamboats in the world starting in 1807 with Robert Fulton, funded by Robert Livingston. Um, So we had really early steamboat traffic compared to pretty much anywhere else in the world. And because steamboats can travel against wind and tide on lake sailboats uh, and keep a schedule, we started to have more and more nighttime traffic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The opening of the um, Champlain Canal in 1823, the Erie Canal in 1825, and the D&H in 1828 dramatically increased steamboat traffic on the Hudson River, as did a monopoly-breaking Supreme Court case, uh, Ogden v. Gibbons in uh, 1824, which broke the Fulton Livingston steamboat monopoly uh, and really allowed a lot of steamboats to proliferate on the Hudson River. So that really is the impetus for these lighthouses. The first one, um, the first and oldest lighthouse, which is still standing, uh, Stony Point, was Mm -hmm. installed in 1826. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, right at that time period, um, installed in Stony Point, which is at the northern end of the Tappan Sea in Haverstraw Bay. And we're pretty sure it was put there because Stony Point is this rocky out- outcropping, right? Stony Point that comes very close to the main shipping channel, but you can't see it because the Hudson Highlands behind it are taller than it is. So mm-hmm. they put a white, a very small white stone. stone yeah lighthouse on the on the top of that point to mark to mark that location and also the entrance to the Hudson Highlands which are very tricky mm-hmm. part of the river to sail yeah I visited the Stony Point lighthouse it's uh it is a very sort of rudimentary uh structure compared to a lot that came later but uh beautiful beautiful area I really enjoyed visiting there Stony Point, I believe, had a longtime woman keeper. That was quite uh, yes. Um, uh, she she had several women lighthouse keepers uh-huh. actually. One of whom we found out about just a couple of years ago, uh, Sarah Robinson, I believe is her last name. She was the mm-hmm. keeper in the 1830s, uh, and she was removed by a change in the political parties of the presidency. Um, So there were a couple of newspaper articles like decrying her removal as, you know, widow with children. What else is she Mm going to do in the 1830s for a job? They're kicking her out of her house. Yeah. Right. So there was a lot of backlash to that. But um, so she was lighthouse keeper for a couple of years in the 1830s. uh, And then Nancy Rose was lighthouse keeper uh, 47 years 1856, 
I believe, until 1902 or 1904. And then her daughter, Melinda, took over as keeper uh, for just a year. We'll talk in a few minutes about Catherine Murdoch, who was another yeah. longtime uh, woman keeper on the Hudson. So, and speaking of that, let's talk about the museum's involvement with Rondout Lighthouse. Maybe you could say a little bit about the lighthouse itself, where it is, and what exactly is the museum's role? Sure. So the Rondout Lighthouse that exists today is actually the third lighthouse structure that has marked the entrance to Rondout Creek. Rondout Creek was one of what we call the first generation of lighthouses um, that were put up in the late 1820s and into the 1830s. A lighthouse was installed there in 1838, a wooden structure kind of in the middle of the mouth of the creek, uh, which was much farther back, uh, much farther west than it is today. It got hit a couple of times by vessels coming into the creek. I think as vessels got larger and larger, that made the negotiations a little bit harder. And that first generation of lighthouses was not very well built. They're just built on like, you know, stone cribbing. This is a wooden one. Catherine Murdoch moves in in 1856 mm-hmm. and it was not in good shape. So they removed that lighthouse and built uh, a very sturdy second one in 1867. Those same plans were used to build the Sagres, Kiksaki, and Stuyvesant lighthouses subsequently. And it's built on the south side of the creek, um, more toward uh, the village of Slatesburg, which is now part of Port Ewan. Big, round, cut stone foundation, round to prevent the ice from um, doing too much damage. Big stone, beautiful stone house. Uh, So that went up in 1867. And in the 1870s, the Army Corps of Engineers decided that the port of Rondout needed some improvements. So they started building these breakwater jetties and dredging the channel in 1877. By the time they finished in 1880, the new entrance to Rondout Creek as formed by these breakwater jetties Uh, was now significantly far out into the Hudson River, and the lighthouse was quite a bit farther back from where the new entrance was. So mariners complained for years (laughs) that that was an inadequate marker. They did put stake lights up on the jetty, three of them, one on each end of the jetty, and then another one on the curve on the northern side of it. So that was the job of the lighthouse keeper to maintain those as well. Mm -hmm. can talk a little bit about who did that when we talk more about Catherine Murdoch. Um, But so finally, in uh, 1910, they appropriated, Congress appropriated new funds for a new lighthouse. That work was begun in 1913, and the lighthouse was completed in early 1915. Uh, It is on the northern side of the entrance to the creek, way out on the point of the jetty. So it's very visible on the Hudson River for miles in either direction. I know people can uh, certainly Google it and find plenty of pictures of it easily, but can you just describe physically what what the what type of lighthouse it is? Sure. So it's a family station. So it is a two and a half story uh, yellow brick square building with a yellow brick tower on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's uh, set up on kind of a, gosh, I don't know, like trapezoidal shaped base, I guess it's, it's a steel and cement foundation and it comes to kind of a point in the front. And then there, um, the jetty, the, the wooden pilings of the jetty are on the outside of that as additional, additional ice support, I guess, Uh (laughs) keeping the ice from, from damaging the foundation. The Hudson river, for those of you who don't know is tidal 
all the way, it's almost at a sea level from New York City all the way to Troy. It's mm-hmm. not quite, but it's pretty close. And it's also a huge, huge watershed. There are dozens of tributaries that, that pour into it, including the Mohawk River, which the Erie Canal is part of. And the, the northern part of the Hudson River goes all the way up into the Adirondack Mountains. So in the wintertime, particularly uh, back in the days before climate change, when it got a lot colder and you had a lot more snowfall, there were a number of issues with ice dams on the Hudson River um, that resulted in some lighthouse-related tragedies, which we can talk about if you want to, too. So what that means is when you get a really fast melt of all of the snowpack in the mountains while the river is still frozen, and all of that water is rushing down into the tributaries, into the river, and it builds up a ton of pressure behind the ice. And eventually that ice will break under the pressure, but it's not particularly melted ice. So you get these huge, huge chunks, almost like icebergs of ice being pushed forward by a wall of water. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that can cause a lot of really significant damage. And it did damage um, a number of, of lighthouses throughout their history. Uh, it doesn't happen every year. The, the conditions have to be right. But also just in general, the breakup of, of heavy ice on the Hudson River. Um, and because you have that tidal flow, the ice is moving back and forth and moving around. It can damage foundations pretty easily and significantly if they're not properly protected. Sure. Think there's less ice on the Hudson than there used to be? Used oh, to yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is climate change. Part of it is, you know, we have icebreakers. So mm-hmm. the actually the the Coast Guard cutter wire came up the Rondout Creek just yesterday and, oh, okay. and broke the ice up there um, yep. because there are um, just up the creek from the, the museum. There's a very large barge construction and and boat repair concern called Feeney's. And they do a lot of work on like North Atlantic tugs and mm-hmm you know, Statue of Liberty fairies and, and things like that. So they keep the creek um, open for them. But just the, tr- the traffic that continues year round on the Hudson River um, in a lot of places pre- prevents ice from being formed. Historically, you know, traffic would end when the ice came and the whole river would just freeze over and you would walk across the river instead of taking right. the ferry because the ferry was... <laughs> Yeah. not able to move but yeah that that constant traffic also helps prevent uh, a real buildup of ice across the whole river you do get ice especially in winter it's like this one a nice cold we had sub-zero in some instances uh, a nice cold winter you get ice in the bays and things like that but the the main channel they keep up so uh her name has come up a few times already Catherine murdoch longtime keeper of the rondout lighthouse what's so special about her yeah, so she's a really interesting character. She is, uh, as far as we know, the longest serving woman lighthouse keeper on the Hudson River. And there were a lot of women lighthouse keepers on the Hudson River. Uh, and she served in the original 1830s Roundout Lighthouse. She moved in with her husband uh, and two children, and she was pregnant at the time in 1856. Her husband, George Murdoch, uh, was a political appointee. He had previously been a guard at Sing Sing Prison in Ossining in the 1850s, which can have been very fun. George went out for groceries. He went to shore for groceries and didn't come back. And they found him the next day drowned 
next to the grocery laden uh, little rowboat he had there. And uh, we did find an actual newspaper article about it that said that the coroner's report was that it was uh, death due to accidental drowning due to intoxication. Mm. So he died, Catherine had like just given birth to her youngest child, James, in the lighthouse. She was from Port Ewan, which is probably part of the reason why they got that appointment because the Ronnet Lighthouse is literally right next to Port Ewan. It's across Roundout Creek from Kingston. Mm-hmm. And so she had a lot of friends in the area and they petitioned the government to allow her to become lighthouse keeper. And the story is that she went down to Washington with baby James to make the case that she should stay on as lighthouse keeper. And her argument was, what better way for my son to grow up to be a lighthouse keeper? Mm-hmm. than to grow up in a lighthouse. So whether or not that was the deciding factor, they did appoint her as lighthouse keeper and she remained keeper until her retirement in 1907. So mm-hmm. her husband died in, in um, May of 1857 and uh, she retired, I think at the end of the season in 1907. So the fun part is that her son, baby James did grow up to be a lighthouse keeper. I'm sure he was assisting his mother earlier than this, but when they put in those stake lights on the jetty in 1880, he became assistant keeper. Mm -hmm. So it was his job to maintain the stake lights. Uh, And then when Catherine retired, he took over as lighthouse keeper and he was the first lighthouse keeper in the 18, or sorry, 1915 Mm -hmm. lighthouse. So the Murdoch family were keepers in all three of the lighthouses. Wow. So she was keeper for just about 50 years, right? Mm -hmm. And all together, uh, between the, the three of them, about how long are we talking about? Oh, gosh. Well, you can do the math. Uh, it was from 1856, and James retired in 1922. That's that's pretty incredible. I don't know if there's a, a well-known dynasty at Portland Head Lighthouse in Maine, the Strouts, uh, father and son, but it's not as long as that. Uh, I don't know if there's a longer dynasty that I'm aware of at any American lighthouse. There might be. Maybe listeners will let me know. So besides the fact that Catherine Murdoch uh, was keeper for 50 years, which is absolutely amazing, what, what uh, anything else that you find notable about her? So I think part of the reason why Catherine Murdoch is kind of so beloved in the, the Mid-Hudson Valley and just as a woman lighthouse keeper in general is that she's, she just seems really tough. Mm-hmm. And one of the big pieces of evidence for that toughness was there was a big freshet in December of 1878. So it was, there was this flood forecast that they had a quick thaw. There was all this runoff coming down. There was ice on the creek. And one of her friends from shore told her, hey, there's this big dangerous flood coming. It's probably going to cause a lot of destruction. You should come ashore. You should not be in the lighthouse. And the newspapers quoted, and I'm not, it's not an exact quote, I'm paraphrasing, but she essentially said something along the lines of, Um, Though I am but a woman, I know my duty. If the lighthouse goes down, I go with it. Mm, Wow. Which is just the best quote ever. It is. Um, And so she does survive. There is a big freshet destroy. It's the lock one at Eddyville on the Deanage Canal. It takes out barns and buildings and boats go flying. But Catherine Murdoch stays in the lighthouse and she makes it through and she survived. So, but I just love that quote. 
Oh, that is a that is one of the great lighthouse quotes of all time. She had to be such a, a tough woman for sure. So aside from Catherine Murdoch, who's extremely notable, uh, anything else that we haven't touched on about Rundout Lighthouse that you think is either in terms of its human history or anything else about its history that uh, is worthy of note? Yeah, so um, the other stories that we like to talk about with the Rundout Lighthouse is from the last family to live there, which is the Howard family. Robert and Matilda Howard lived there from 1930. 38, I believe, until 1945 with their two children, Lila and Esther, who I think when they moved in, uh, Esther, the youngest one was seven or nine, somewhere around there. So they were quite young. And Esther, in the early days of the museum operating the lighthouse, came into the talk and she told some stories about growing up in the lighthouse and, and some of the things. And there's two in particular that stick out in my mind. Um, the lighthouse, because of these jetties, has a very shallow area behind it uh, that we call the flats, where the Army Corps put the dredge spoils, and then also it's just filled in from tides and things like that. So it's a very marshy area at high tide. It's probably about five or six feet deep, and at low tide, it's only a couple of feet deep. Mm -hmm. And so that was Esther and Lila's playground. And in the wintertime, it would freeze, and that's how they would get to school. They would walk across the flats to get to school in Pankaki, which is a little neighborhood just up the hill from, from right behind the lighthouse. Uh, but she talks about walking to school one day and the ice broke. And I don't remember which girl fell through. One of them fell through the ice, but luckily her sister was there and they, and it's not very deep. So they, they got her back out and, and uh, walked back to the house and got cleaned up and warm and dry. And then their mother sent them back out to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> they did wow. not get to stay home from school after that, that incident. The other one she talks about is that uh, she was always forbidden from playing in the channel in Roundup Creek. And one time when she was nine, she decided she was going to swim across. So from jetty to jetty. Mm -hmm. And she said it was cold, much colder than the water in the flats, right? Because it's much deeper. She said it was filthy. There was oil and garbage and God knows what else. Mm. And uh, it's terrifying because there were giant boats coming and going. So she swam across and she swam back and she never told anyone <laughs> until she told the people at the Maritime Museum. Wow. Um, and she never did it again because it was so scary. Mm -hmm. But the sad thing about the Howard family is that the reason why they left is because Robert Howard actually died. Mm -hmm. um, while he was on duty. He, it was the winter of 1945. Uh, there were some tugboats that had gotten stuck in the ice and, and he was out there on the ice trying to help break them free or get people off. I don't remember exactly which, but he slipped and fell on the ice and hit his head and had a stroke. Wow. And so he actually, they took him to the hospital, but he died in the hospital. Yeah. Um, so, so the Howard girls uh, had to move to shore with their mother. And that was our last civilian keeper Mm -hmm. at the lighthouse. So that was in 1945. Uh, the Coast Guard members came in and kept the light until it was automated in 1954. Mm -hmm. And the museum stepped in again. When did the museum get involved? Yeah, so we got involved in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much as soon as we opened on the roundout, uh, the lighthouse had been boarded up after it was automated, um, which was fairly common by the Coast Guard. Uh, they only cared about the light, not the structure necessarily. Right. Yep. So we got involved in the 80s and then we had a lease 
in the 1990s as the Coast Guard was divesting of properties and the city of Kingston decided that they wanted it. So the museum works in partnership with, with the city of Kingston to maintain the lighthouse and then the museum uh, interprets it and makes it accessible to the public. Yeah. Okay. A little before the uh, National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act came about in 2001. So yeah. kind of created a more formal procedure for, for transferring them. Yeah. yeah. And the, the Hudson River Lighthouses, I think, were some of the kind of pioneers of the Coast Guard handing over structures to nonprofits. So uh, let's talk about the tours that the museum offers, the tours of uh, Rondout Lighthouse. I, I imagine it, maybe you can uh, tell me if it's been interrupted in the last couple of years, but uh, in general, how do those work? Yeah, so the, the lighthouse is about a 15 minute boat ride from the Maritime Museum's docks. We do have transient docks available for boaters as well, if you wanna visit by boat. So it's a 15 minute boat ride. We dock at the lighthouse, get off, take a tour of the interior. We have some very talented docents and you can tour the interior is uh, a little rough. The lighthouse needs some some preservation uh, capital projects, I think, in the next couple of years. Um, but it's it's furnished as if it were around 1915, the year that it was built. And mm -hmm. we take people all the way up to the tower, so you can go up into the light tower and then out onto the deck, uh, which is nice. It's a nice big, big, beautiful deck. You know. Everything's steel and cement and brick, and you have great views of of the Catskills to the north of us and to the south of us. On a clear day, you can see the Osopus Meadows Lighthouse. Yeah, which is great. I think it's pretty much the only point on the Hudson River where you can see another lighthouse from a lighthouse. Hmm. Um, unless you can see Stony Point from the Tarrytown Lighthouse. I don't remember if you can or not, but uh, great views from there. Uh, and so we have offered tours on and off. Since the 1980s, the hardest part was always finding a vessel. It's accessible mm -hmm. only by water. So the museum had its own vessel for a while, and then that was kind of too much burden. And then we were working with a local boat tour company that's right next door to us, and then they sold their smaller boat. <laughs> and uh, so we kind of struggled for a couple of years to provide access uh, until the um, 2019, we actually built in our brand new wooden boat school, uh, but we call Solaris, which is a 100% solar powered tour boat. It was wow. a proof of concept vessel designed by a guy named David Wharton, who had designed some, some other prototype vessels called Solar Sal. He's now manufacturing those for commercial and private use uh, with fiberglass hulls. Uh, we did a wooden hull for the, the proof of concept, but it's a beautiful 44 foot long boat. It looks like a little 19th century steam jitney with a flat roof. That's where all the solar panels are. And before COVID, we could take 24 people. Now we're down to like 14 to 16, but uh, it's quiet, uh -huh. which when you're doing tours is fantastic. It's yeah. very quiet, no diesel exhaust. You can hear the docent, it's wonderful. That is great. Sounds really nice. And we're speaking here in late January 2022. Are you expecting to uh, be offering tours uh, on the boat to the lighthouse this coming we season? We are. Yeah. So we offered them. We did about half a season in 2019, uh, in part because 
we couldn't get Coast Guard certification because the government shut down in the spring of 2019. <laughs> um, so we did just July, August, and September and October of that year. Um, but mm-hmm. last year, we were shut down until the first weekend in July. So after the 4th of July, we started up tours. That was one of the safest programs we could offer because Solaris has a roof, but she's open-sided and it was all outdoors. Right. Um, and then we did a full slate of programs last year that was hugely popular. So we're yeah. planning, we're gearing up for another great season this year. So we offer yeah. tours of the Rhonda Lighthouse and we also have a partnership with the Sopus Meadows Lighthouse. So we're hoping to offer tours again of the Sopus Meadows Lighthouse this year. Great. Yeah. When I was there in 08, I actually got a boat ride to both lighthouses with the people from the Asopus organization and got inside Rondout Lighthouse. And I saw how, like you said, it's uh, there's period furnishings from what the 1915-ish era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, um, you know, mm-hmm. some of it is a little older than that, but there's like arts and crafts, like mission style furniture in there, um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's not probably as period accurate as we would like, because when it was that furniture was brought out there, we didn't know as much about the lighthouse as we do now. Yeah. Um, so for instance, there's a really beautiful 1920s electric refrigerator, but that lighthouse didn't have electricity until 1948. <laughs> okay. Not like I said, probably we're hoping in, in the next couple of years, we'll be able to do some reinterpretation, but yeah. As far as restoration goes, anything in the pipeline, any projects planned at this point? Ooh, we are um, talking to the city of Kingston. Um, we noticed this at the National Maritime Heritage Grant just reopened. So we are in discussion with the city of Kingston about um, a joint application mm-hmm. for the Rondo Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good luck with that. I look forward to, to watching the, the progress there. What is most needed as far as uh, structural Uh, repairs or restoration so the roof was redone in the late 1990s right before the city of kingston took it over we orchestrated a fundraising campaign for that so the roof is in pretty good shape probably the biggest need right now is um the brickwork it needs to be repointed and uh some of the bricks are cracked the tough thing is is that they're not a standard size of brick so they'd have to be specially manufactured, which is... Are they large? They are um, thinner than oh, okay. typical bricks. And they're that yellow brick, which is not easy to find these days. So yeah, yeah it's a little a little tough for, for restoration, I think. But we, we have had some, some moisture problems. I was involved in um, getting some of the interior um, replastered when I first started working at the Maritime Museum in 2012. I didn't do any of the work, but I like drove our boat out to take them there oh, wow. because we have like five staff members at that point. So that was my job was to drive the the mason and the plaster out there. You're brave. But um, it's not bad. It's just, <laughs> it's not bad at all. The, uh, there's no laugh in the structure. It's the bricks. Mm-hmm. And then it's a mixture of like mortar and sand. And then it's the, the plaster on top of that. So when somebody is there and, you know, you're running a coal-fired heating system and a coal-fired stove, that's going to pull all that moisture right out of the air in the wintertime. But we don't have that. So so there's been some moisture damage that needs to be repaired. Please tell me about the documentary film the museum is producing about Hudson River Lighthouses. 
Yeah, we are very excited for this documentary film. Um, it's called Seven Sentinels, Lighthouses of the Hudson River. Uh, it's a project that came out of another project, interestingly enough. So during shutdown in, in, um, shutdown in the spring of 2020, we had this boat Solaris, which was like a year old. And we uh, have a partnership with Schooner Apollonia, which is a steel-hulled 45-foot sailing schooner that is rigged for cargo shipping on the Hudson River. Uh, and they didn't really, they were also just kind of getting started up. And so we thought, well, what are we going to do with these two boats? And the museum was shut down. We couldn't have people visit us. So we embarked on two voyages on the Hudson River that we called Riverwise. One from Kingston to Albany and back, and one from Kingston to New York City and back. And we had filmmakers on board and we were doing like interpretation and videos for social media and stuff like that. We did interviews with some people and that was so successful that we decided we wanted to do more with film. And we decided what's the best and easiest thing to talk about on the Hudson River and that's our lighthouses. So we had just published um, our book Hudson River Lighthouses in 2019. So we'd already done a ton of research. We already had really good relationships with all of the lighthouse organizations throughout the Hudson Valley. So we decided to embark on this filmmaking endeavor. Uh, we're working with filmmaker Jeff Mertz of Moonbow Imaging. He's an amazing filmmaker. If you've seen either of the two teaser trailers that he's put together, his like the quality of the film is just stunning. Everything just looks so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And we already had a whole bunch of historic images and and newspaper articles and all that fun stuff. So we interviewed everybody except for one person. I'm actually, we're going to interview uh, Henry Steiner, who's the Sleepy Hollow historian about um, the Sleepy Hollow Lighthouse, also known as the Tarrytown or Kingsland Point Lighthouse. Yeah. We're interviewing him in a couple of weeks. And Jeff has already started putting together what we're calling episodes. So each lighthouse is going to get its own episode or chapter that's part of the film. And then there's going to be an introduction and conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole film is probably going to be between 60 and 90 minutes. I know We're it's going to be good. The, the trailer is is beautiful. Uh, I have no doubt that the final product is going to be excellent. So is there still fundraising going on for the documentary? There is. Yeah, we just um, we did an Indiegogo campaign that we launched in November of last year that just closed out. Um, we did not make our goal, but we uh, did get pretty far. We raised about $15,000 through Indiegogo, and we've raised another almost $15,000 through other sources, but we're estimating that the whole cost of the film is going to be probably over $50,000. So we do mm -hmm. still have, um, people can still give us money if they would like to uh, at HudsonRiverLighthouses.org. There's a little donate button right mm -hmm. on the main page there. And uh, we're going to be doing film screenings and a DVD. It's going to be available digitally. And we're just really excited about it. Yeah, no, definitely. And speaking of the, the website, I was looking and saw that you uh, have been offering virtual lectures uh, pretty yes. often. Is, will that be continuing for a yep. while? We, um, we have had a very longstanding lecture uh, series program at the Maritime Museum. We've been doing a lecture series uh, here for over 15 years. And during the pandemic, we went virtual and I kind of don't want to go back because we can get all these great speakers from all over the country. Um, yeah. So we've got our first couple for the spring are, are up and I'm still talking to people. So 
we usually do them um, January through June, and then we take July and August off because mm -hmm. that's our busy time. And also, who wants to sit in front of a screen <laughs> in the summer, right? There's there's yeah. better things to do. And then we uh, re we return for September, October, November. So. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I mean, there's there's always going to be a place for in-person lectures, but there, I think we've all learned that there there's a lot of advantages to doing it virtually because you can bring speakers from anywhere, as you said, and bring audiences from from all over. Yeah, we've had audiences yeah. tune in from Colorado and California mm -hmm. and Georgia. It's great. Yeah, yeah. A few minutes ago, you mentioned the book uh, you worked on. Uh, on the Hudson River Lighthouses for Arcadia Publishing, their Images of America series, which I think most people are pretty familiar with. Tell me a bit about that. Is that uh, still available? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, it's available through most book retailers, including Amazon. We also have it for sale in our museum store and in our online store. Mm -hmm. So just a little plug, if you buy it from the Maritime Museum, we get both the royalties and the <laughs> that additional uh, bookseller take. Yeah. Um, so that's a nice way to support the museum if you're interested in that book. Um, that one, it was an interesting thing. They actually approached us about doing a book on Hudson River Lighthouses. And we said, hey, yeah, we should do a book about Hudson yeah. River Lighthouses. So we reactivated the Hudson River Lighthouse Coalition, which is this kind of informal organization that's includes all of the organizations that care for the remaining seven Hudson River Lighthouses. And they said, hey, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. And they mm -hmm. provided historic images and, and some of the stories that we didn't know. And we did additional research and put it all together. We did include some of the New York City lighthouses as well, like Robin's Reef. So the book was kind of an excuse to do a lot of this research that that hadn't been done and that we were curious about and to kind of catalog a lot of those lost lighthouses. So we had a number of volunteer researchers who assisted us. We received information from all of our lighthouse organization partners, like I said, mm -hmm. and then um, my colleague Carla Lesh and I also did a fair amount of research on our own. So, uh, And the title again, is what is the official title of that book? Hudson River Lighthouses. That's clever. Yeah. I know, right? There's only so many ways you can say it. Yeah, no, that that's, <laughs> says, says it very clearly. That's what it is. So people should look for that. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's organized by geographic location. So if you're interested yeah. in any particular part of the river. Yeah, the museum has a really active blog. I'm on the email list, so I get the those, uh, what, about every couple of days or pretty pretty often. Yeah, early in the pandemic, we were posting seven days a week, which in retrospect was absolutely crazy i don't know how we did it i guess because that was our main connection with with the world uh we're down to three days a week now mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you can either get it three days a week or you can get like a once a week summer yeah well i enjoy it i saw today's uh you had a posting about the um uh there was a an old uh, newsreel from was it 1934 i think that showed the the river frozen over and the yes. Terrytown lighthouse completely surrounded and nice yes. was pretty arctic conditions on the river yeah that was um Mm -hmm. 1934 was a really bad winter in New York City in particular. It was got down to sub-zero temperatures. A number of people died. There were lots of frostbite cases. And so this is a British Pathé newsreel yeah. um, talking about ice breaking on the river and the Sleepy Hollow slash Tarrytown lighthouses in the aerial footage, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So the, the blog uh, can be accessed, uh, the, the whole uh, history of the, the blog, right? All the blog entries are online? 
Yes. Yep. If you just go to our main website, hrmm.org and scroll down, you'll see the most recent blog posts are up. Um, otherwise, if you want to read the whole thing, you can go to hrmm.org slash history hyphen blog. Mm-hmm. Very straightforward. And we've been posting, I think, since like 2014, 2013. Uh, we didn't post that frequently until the pandemic prior to that. It was like once a month or once every couple months. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff on there. We have a million categories that you can explore. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in a particular lighthouse um, that's in the categories links, you can click on that. Um, and then if you want to learn more about the individual lighthouses, we also operate um, a separate website, HudsonRiverLighthouses.org which we operate in uh, concert with the other lighthouse organizations. So each of the remaining seven lighthouses, we also put the Statue of Liberty on there because that was an official lighthouse for many years. That's available there. And we have a a historic map with all the historic lighthouses on there and some information about some of the lost lighthouses as well. Mm -hmm. Great. I have one final question for you. All right. It's for bonus points. Okay. For this. Okay, the question is, what has been your favorite thing personally about your involvement with the Hudson River Maritime Museum? That's sort of a two-part question, I guess, and I'll add and round out light, and or round out Lighthouse. So I think my favorite thing about working at the Maritime Museum that I've learned is a little bit of an outside perspective. I think a lot of people who live in the Hudson Valley don't necessarily understand that, but I have come to realize over the years um, just how important the Hudson River has been to the development of the United States. And it is not often talked about in those terms, but in terms of the steamboat technology, in terms of the canals, we always joke at the Maritime Museum, where's the Erie Canal get you to Waterford? So you need the Hudson River, right, to get to New York City and beyond. And so just the role that it has played in you know, our industrial revolution and in westward expansion and the American revolution and, and all of these really big events in American history. It's, its role, I think, is kind of overlooked. So I've made my mission at the Maritime Museum to, to mm-hmm. say that out loud and convince people of, of just how important the Hudson River really is. You know, to convince me, I uh, worked on a book uh, about 14 years ago on Hudson River and New York Harbor Lighthouses, and I learned how, how important the Hudson is. I recommend to people to visit your website, which we've talked about, which again is uh, hrmm.org, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, I recommend that people go out there and uh, visit your museum and take one of those tours to the lighthouse, which start in what what month again? When do those uh, I think our start date is going to be, for public tours, it's going to be Memorial Day weekend. Okay. And we will run lighthouse tours, I think, just about every day, Thursday through Sunday. And we have a number of other history-related tours. We have, you know, a fun series where we have experts come on board on different topics. We have Mm -hmm. a live music series, all kinds of fun stuff. But the lighthouse tours are really our bread and butter. We try to offer those at least once a day, every day that we're running tours. Yeah. Well, you really offer a lot there. So uh, I, I look forward to coming back. And I want to thank you so much, uh, Sarah Wasberg Johnson of the Hudson River Maritime Museum for talking with me today. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure we'll be talking again. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Any excuse to talk about lighthouses, right?
For more on the Hudson River Maritime Museum and Rondout Lighthouse, visit hrmm.org. You can also sign up to attend virtual lectures through the website. I visited the museum and the Hudson River Lighthouses back around 2008 when I was doing research for a book. It's a great area to visit. I recommend the museum very highly. Franklin D. Roosevelt was born in 1882 at Hyde Park, a town by the Hudson River about 20 miles from Rondout. He said once, and I quote, All that is within me cries out to go back to my home on the Hudson River, end quote. And the author Jack Kerouac once wrote, quote, If you drop a rose in the Hudson River at its mysterious source in the Adirondacks, think of all the places it journeys by as it goes out to sea forever. Think of that wonderful Hudson Valley, unquote. Our thanks as always to all the volunteers, staff, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. One of the most popular things the Society does is the Lighthouse Passport Program, which provides enthusiasts the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses and to keep a pictorial history of their travels. To learn more about it, go to uslhs.org and click on Passport, Program, and Club. On the website, you can also learn about the upcoming tours, preservation grants, and all the things the Society offers. Remember that donations and memberships help to support this podcast. Be sure to check out the U.S. Lighthouse Society on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and soon the Society will be on TikTok. Yeah, that's right. We have some excellent people working on content. That's going to be a lot of fun. People should watch for an announcement. I think we may have an interesting challenge coming up on TikTok as well. Uh, If you listen to this podcast on a platform that lets you post reviews, please rate and review us. If you work to preserve lighthouses or any kind of history, thanks for everything you do. We're all on the same team. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine